Hey, I'm Heather Ness from thesupersite.com, and you're listening to Comics in Motion. I didn't murder anybody, Sheriff. You're telling me you didn't do it. They died from terminal stupidity. Why did you tie her up? She's ungrateful. Kids today, they got no manners. You have got 24 hours to get out of New York. Call me old fashioned. I don't work with Russians. Right, welcome everyone. This is episode 58 of the Comics in Motion podcast. I am Chris Phelps, and my good friend and co-host is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hi, Chris, and hello to our listeners out there. Welcome to the Comics in Motion. What we like to do here is we like to review media like movies and TV shows that are based on comic books. Myself, I'll be reviewing from the perspective of a long-time comic book reader. And I'll be reviewing from the TV and movie perspective. And what we also like to do is we also like to spoil the hell out of everything we review. So if you haven't watched our choice of the week, then we'd advise you to proceed with caution. And what we also love is when you can head over to Apple Podcasts or your podcast catcher of choice and drop us a five-star review. This really helps us to grow the show and gets us out there to other listeners. Now, Chris, a couple of things we seem to discuss every week, Avengers Endgame, but it's really hard not to. Um, so in this last week, we've had the new Super Bowl trailer coming out. So have you, did you catch that? Yep, I've ca- caught it a few times, Dave. And the, the only thing I can see that, not that it hasn't been tried before in the other trailers, but it looks like Captain's got his shield back, Dave. And I, I, I'm... I know it sounds that well, but as the proper fanboy that we all are, I'm absolutely thinking, yeah, we're liking this. I'm loving it. I just don't know how far in front they've gone and how everyone ties in, especially the Ant-Man situation, as we mentioned before. That definitely needs explaining. So what did you think, Dave, of the trailer? Well, so I, I thought that the the interesting thing about it was there seems to be a, you know a certain amount of time has obviously passed. Because, uh, so you hear Steve Rogers, he says, basically, you know, people have, some people have moved on, but we haven't. And so you're thinking, well, how much time has passed then since the snap, since the end of the, the last movie? You know, is it, is it a month? It, you generally can't move on from stuff, can you? No. Uh, you know, if half of the people you knew and, uh, and your family and stuff have all been dusted. So I, I think, you know, we must be talking six months, 12 months or something like that. So I, I think it's, I, I guess I'd assumed, you know, the end game would just pick up where Infinity War had finished. But, uh, yeah. So again, just, it just whets the appetite roll on when that comes out. No, exactly. And and then to tie on the back of that, Dave, I don't know if you'd seen it. Did you see some of the comments from the Russo brothers? No, no. What, what have they said? Well, they said that they've already screened the film to four audiences and nobody, I know it sounds daft, this, maybe this is a new review score we should look at, Dave, but uh, nobody went for a toilet break in the reckon three hours long film and that's with it being cut. So I'm absolutely rubbing my fingers and rubbing my hands at that, Dave, thinking this is going to be something else. And he said it's testing really, really well, as in, like, top top uh, draw. So I, I, I absolutely can't wait, honestly. Just... You know, I had seen something about the three-hour runtime, and I, I think I, I saw a poll, I think, saying, you know, should there be an intermission uh, in there? But... Because, I mean, three hours is a long time. You know, I'm a bit older than I was. 
<laughs> I'm not sure I can hold on for that long, but uh, yeah, yeah. So let's let's see. But no, I, I yeah. As long as they can make it, and then I wonder if the director's cut. You know, <laughs> is that going to be even longer? <laughs> so yeah, but I, I, honestly, I can't. And, and I guess the the only problem is. <laughs> We've got Captain Marvel to get through, and what you said last week, I, you know, it, it played on my mind a bit. That yeah, it kind of is just a necessary stepping stone to get through to Endgame, isn't it? I, I can't help but feeling like that. Yeah, honestly, I don't know why, but but the little snippets I've seen, and I know Brie Larson's been putting stuff on Twitter this week, like a, a bit of a car chase scene, and that where Nick Fury and is chasing her and she's on top of a train with using her powers and that. So I'm quite interested to see it, Dave, and how that all tie. It's just like I say, it's more to tie it all in, but I, I don't think it's going to be as bad as what some people have been saying. There's a lot of negativity of the actual film and I don't understand why until you've watched it. There's no reason to comment on it, I don't think. I don't understand the, the negativity either. I mean, this is the first female-led Marvel film you know, we had Ant-Man and Wasp, so there was, they, they shared the title there. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't get it either, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'll go there. I will I will enjoy it, no doubt. It's just, it's it's more just, for me, it's more about just salivating about how good Endgame's going to be. I hope. I think it will be. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think three hours at the Avengers again, I'm going to be all over this, Dave. Oh, my word. And I reckon... It's not going to be a one sitting job. I'm going to go a couple of times to this. I'm really praying that the, the you know, we do get something that resembles the Infinity War for just drama and excitement, and you know, and everything comes together really well. And there's that full stop on this sort of version of the Avengers. You know, yeah, I, yeah. Just, I can't wait. Absolutely can't wait. Now, one thing I, I saw just just in this last 24 hours, there's been a, an image leaked onto the internet. Now, the thing is, there's so many amateur images that, you know, these people photoshopping all sorts together. It's very difficult to figure out sometimes. Is this just a rough image? You know, because everything's photoshopped, isn't it? Yeah. And you can't sometimes tell if it's if it's put together by someone in their bedroom or or it's just a rough cut directly from Marvel and Disney. But this seems to be getting a quite a bit of what's the word? Traction. Traction might be it. It's not quite it seems to have credibility. Credibility yeah. is the word. Um and it actually shows a, a few different things. So you've got a different suit for Iron Man. But the main thing is you've got the Hulk there. It's looking a lot more like Mark Ruffalo, and he looks. It looks like we might be getting that more intelligent Hulk. So again, in in the comics, there have been various incarnations of, of how he is, and typically it's the um, the Grey Hulk, the one that appeared very in his very first appearance. That's a bit more intelligent, yeah. and then most people know the kind of green, brutish incarnation but i i wonder if we're gonna get you know hulk um actually with a vocabulary a bit bigger than hulk smash i did see that actually dave I've, i know exactly what you mean because he's got a blue suit on any and, and he's That's the one. on the yep. picture he's next to black widow i think like a, That's a right. yeah, 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 yeah i have seen it because he doesn't look as big muscle wise does he? i know obviously he's, he's in the background of this poster but yes I have seen that, and I have seen that consistently posted 
on Twitter. So, yeah, you're right. And and one of the things that always does ruin these things, Dave, and it's an absolute telltale sign, I know it sounds daft, is the actual toys. Because they release all the toys, like, a month ago before. And that's where a lot of the sites now are getting all the cues and ideas. The Star Wars ones are the most notorious for that. So we're going to see some of the Avengers toys and some of the like things coming up. And it'll literally give away the plot stuff. I just hope this time there isn't the leaks that there has been. I just don't want anything ruined. I want to go into it not knowing anything. And I'm on a social media blackout in April, definitely. Yeah. No, I had seen that um, because they'd released, uh, I think, one of the toy lines that had been released had Cap's new suit. Yeah. Um, But you're right. I mean, it it seems to be a bit of a black spot in the the spoiler front, doesn't it? You know, and... uh, yeah, people are all over it, aren't they? As soon as a new toy, I mean, I'm I'm not walking in toy shops every day, but you know, as soon as it as soon as an image is released, it floods your Twitter page, doesn't it? So it's kind yeah. of hard to avoid it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I I want to uh, completely go in. I I know a little bit now. Um, like I say, as as the news breaks, but I don't really want to know any more than what I know now and what. Captain Marvel's going to tell me. Exactly, exactly. Now, Dave, I believe we've been looking this week as well at Disney and not ruling out any R-rated movies. Now, that's obviously a positive thing with everything that's gone on with the cancellations on Netflix. Yeah, so I think people were a bit concerned. I mean, uh, you've got different production companies, so people like Netflix, people like Sony, Fox, all have access to these Marvel characters these marvel properties and okay so marvel studios you could say they've generally been over the last 10 years they've been the best movies but typically you want to have some kind of diversity don't you and i think people are are most concerned so we we've mentioned recently haven't we we both love logan both love deadpool and those are both r-rated movies and there was discussion and and few rumors about well black widow could that be an r-rated movie to do it justice i I think it really should be but if disney get their hands on everything you know they buy fox and and, you know they take back the netflix properties then you end up with every story being disneyfied you know and slapped with a pg-13 rating so bob Iger came out and and said this week that you know, they, they will entertain, you know, we'll continue that business um, when talking about the R-rated films. So we've said, haven't we, about Ryan Reynolds and, and you know, we'd quite like to see him. He's only just really got into those Deadpool shoes. He's had a couple of movies now, but I think the first one came out in, what, 2016? So we're only a little bit on from that. And I'd kind of like to see some more of those. So hopefully... Um, they'll not only continue making those R-rated movies, but also I'd kind of like to see Ryan Reynolds carry on Deadpool for a bit longer. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And and it can only be a positive thing, Dave, because I think if they're going to go down that route and they've got the rights, you can't not do that. So, yeah, good call, Dave. Very good call. Yeah. Good stuff. Now, Dave, carrying on from the Ryan Reynolds conversation, this uh, social media fight and feud with Hugh Jackman seems to have come to a head with what can only be described as two of the best adverts I've ever seen. I, I don't know how much of it is just 
Brian Reynolds or, you know, I mean, Hugh Jackman's obviously game for a laugh as well, isn't he? Yeah. But, um, you know, so Ryan Reynolds should write a book on viral marketing, I think, <laughs> because he's just got it nailed. And, and obviously, you know, through the movies, he's consistently taking uh, pot shots at Hugh Jackman, you know, straight from the first line in that in that first movie. Um, what was it? He says something like. Whose balls did I have to fondle to get uh, to get my own movie? And uh, I can't tell you, but it rhymes with pulvery. <laughs> and he's got a pair of smooth criminals down under. So, <laughs> so straight away, and then you know, finishes off the movies. You know, they take the uh, the girlfriend takes the mask off, and he's got a little Hugh Jackman. Um, mask on underneath his mask and and so it, it just seems to be relentless and it seems to be such a shame that you know as Ryan Reynolds is, is doing more and more Deadpool stuff and Deadpool related stuff that Hugh Jackman has hung up his claws and and I just I'd said a few weeks ago that I think you know now Hugh Jackman has given up playing Wolverine that's it turn the page we need to cast some probably an unknown actor to just carry it on but actually the way these two guys have that rapport and have this back and forth i kind of think no i wouldn't mind seeing these two on screen because this this latest twitter uh video that they posted together was just pure brilliance i mean do you want to do you want to tell us a bit about it yeah so we've got uh hugh jackman's got a coffee company annie which and i don't know dave whether they actually both are in business together because the logos look very similar for both companies. Now, you can see the art style is very similar. Now, obviously, we start the, the trailer is, is with Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is there promoting this sort of coffee, he's promoting this this company, and he's being dead nice, isn't he, about Hugh Jackman, and, and you know, he's really, like, laying it on about him and all this, and it's a nice little... Uh, conversation going on and, and, and you can see like, you know, the, the whole joke was you promote my stuff, I'll promote yours. And then it, <laughs> when things really heat up is when we get to the Hugh Jackman advert, which is for Ryan Reynolds. Is it gin? It's gin, isn't it, Dave? It is gin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Reynolds' is gin. And, and we I'd seen a couple of adverts on Ryan Reynolds' Twitter account for the gin and where it's grown out of and all this. And it's just Hugh Jackman slagging Ryan Reynolds off to bleeping out what he's saying. And he just sends up, to, well, oh, he's brilliant though. He just looks at the bottle and says, well, I believe it's nice or something like you want to drink it. And he just looks at it and just pours it on this table. And just, <laughs> <laughs> but because they're sat there together watching this, it's obviously, you know, plus portray that Ryan Reynolds has never seen this sort of advert. And he's absolutely like, look at the camera, looking at him. Hugh Jackman's looking at him like, well, Telling the truth, you know, I, I thought it was brilliant. They're like a, they could actually have like a bit of a comedy film yeah. going at some point, you know, just taking it because it's like that show where they go on and roast each other. They literally just do it and they don't care. Absolutely, it's brilliant, Dave. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and, and you know, in the comics, there is a bit of a, a needle between Deadpool and Wolverine as well. I think I, I'd just love to see those two on on screen together in a in a movie. You know, Hugh Jackman obviously playing Wolverine, the straight character, and and then you've got Deadpool uh, just being wacky there. So, I mean, in in the movies, obviously they they just in the Deadpool movie they say it's a, 
everyone's got this mutant gene and you just have to ignite it essentially i think was the was the line but in the comics he's he is given effectively wolverine's healing factor by weapon x yeah and like i say the 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 two of them are, are very tied in the in the comics and they do have that you know um I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say love hate relationship more like a hate and more hate relationship but <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it 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 would be really good but um yeah I mean you you could tell something was going to happen couldn't you because Ryan Reynolds's advert was was very gushing and and very complimentary and whatever and he's got that boyish grin on his face he's like yeah really proud of it spent a million dollars on it <laughs> <laughs> Pure, pure, brilliant, brilliant. Oh, brilliant, mate, brilliant. Now, Dave, talking about Twitter and social media, uh, we've actually got a poll going, haven't we, for our next review up on Twitter. Have you got the results so far, Dave, and what we're actually looking at possibly reviewing? Yeah, so in our schedule, we were due to look at Titans next week. Um, so that has that came out last year and on the Disney streaming service, but it's just come out now on on well just in this last month on Netflix in the UK. So we we were going to have a look at that, but um, I was just thinking, you know, we hadn't reviewed anything retro for a little while, and and you and I had discussed offline, and we and just sort of said, well, should we should we do a, something a bit more retro, or should we carry on and and go with Titans? So in lieu of making an actual decision ourselves, we thought, well, let's, let's throw it out there to the, uh, to the Twitter followers. So at the moment, the way it stands, and this is purely going off on Twitter. I'll speak about Facebook in a minute, but at the moment, Spider-Man 1977 is winning with 31%. And then Titans is just behind on 29%. And then you've got uh, Incredible Hulk 78 on 24 and Shazam on 16. So Shazam really lagging behind there. I actually thought Shazam might win this one. So it just shows what I know. But again, when we get to the Captain Marvel review, or maybe, maybe I'll keep it for the Shazam review, actually. So Shazam was actually Captain Marvel. Um, and there, there are a number of Captain Marvels out there. So, um, yeah. We'll talk about that one when we get to the Shazam movie. Yeah, but yeah, I'd, I'd be happy with any of those to be honest. I, I think for very different reasons. Obviously, you got Titans, fairly new. Um, I'm part way through watching it anyway, without you know taking notes and reviewing it. But uh, the other one, properly going back to the 70s. Yeah, I agree, and I think I've, <laughs> I've got a confession, Dave. Um, which one do you think I voted for? Well, just because it's winning, uh, uh, well, you, you'd have gone for Titan, surely. No. <laughs> Spider-Man? <Hulk>? Spider-Man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> because I always remember watching the guy as Spider-Man pretending to run up the side of the wall, and it was the most pathetic reenactment. <laughs> it was almost, you know, we always go on about it as like a, a, a joke within the podcast, but the Batman 1966 TV series when they used to yeah. run, run up the side with a, a rope and it'd be all they've done is turn the camera to the side, and they that was the trick. But that's pretty much what you get in Spider Man 1977. I'm dying to watch it again because I remember watching it as a kid a few times, even then thinking this is garbage. So, 
I think I, I put my vote towards Hulk. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the thing I remember about the Spider-Man as well is, you know, there's no, there's no Dr. Octopus or Vulture or any of these kind of super villains that I remember. I think it's just, um, it's just fighting some local criminals. And, and let's just say, even in my memory, which, you know, you, you sometimes have rose tinted glasses thinking back. I, I seem to remember the fighting was pretty terrible. <laughs> it's, it's not sort of daredevil, uh, level, level fight choreography. So, um, I, I think that one would be funny. Now, the one thing I will say, so it, Facebook is a bit of a pain to have four options on. So if you create a poll, it only has two options by default. And so I was playing about you can create an event and then create a poll within the event. And if you do it that way, you can have four options. But it was a bit of a faff, and I, I wasn't sure how it would appear in the news feed for everyone. And uh, I think I got my answer, because when I checked again this morning, I was the only person who'd voted. <laughs> so, whereas, you know, um, normally we get a good response. So I think if we're going to have polls like this in the future, we'll, we'll probably just stick to Twitter. Or if, you know... Sorry, I couldn't. No, no, go, go, on, go on, go on, go on. I was going to say, if if you've got, um, or if you're listening, you don't have access to Twitter, just email us in. So email us at comicsinmotionpodcast at gmail.com. And I've got to apologize to you, Dave, and to everyone else who uses Facebook, because it was actually my stupid idea to go with four. So um, <laughs> we won't be doing that again. So yeah, let's just stick with what, exactly what you said, Dave, because I sort of overrode you then you went with four and um yeah we'll just stick with the um what's available more than anything so i can only yeah. apologize oh no 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 we live and learn don't we exactly now dave it's that time of the show where we do the comic and movie background what have you got for us today mate yep so we're looking this week at the second half of the punisher uh, series two, aren't we? So episodes seven through to 13. And last week we looked at the origins of the Punisher and, you know, his creation within the comics and the fact that he made his debut in Amazing Spider-Man 129. This week I thought we'd focus on Billy the Butte Russo or Jigsaw going by his supervillain name. So Jigsaw also made his debut in Amazing Spider-Man. That was a couple of years later, so that was in issue 162. He was created by writer Len Wein and artist Ross Andrew. If you recall from last week, Ross Andrew was one of the kind of four creators if you like that talk being in that creator pool for the Punisher and he was the first guy who actually drew the Punisher in that in that issue 129 now I don't think I've mentioned Len Wein before um, but Chris you may be interested in this one because he's the creator of a certain mutant kind of already mentioned him today and he's the <laughs> best that he's the best at what he does but what he does isn't very nice <laughs> so Len, Len Wein's your man who created Wolverine. Now, Jigsaw, he's the closest thing that the Punisher has to a real nemesis. Um, I mentioned last week, you know, typically people who go up against the Punisher don't tend to last very long. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he got his nickname the Butte because of his dashing good looks. Um, but that was, that was up until the Punisher, uh, he ran in with the Punisher and he threw him through a plane of glass, and that's where he got his kind of jigsaw look. Now, in the comics, he's more of an Italian gangster or mobster, and rather than having any kind of military background as such, that's where he gets his particular set of skills. 
And he's he's not got any superpowers as such, but he physically he's been shown to be a match for the Punisher. And he's got plenty of experience in street fighting techniques. And, you know, he's an exceptional strategist and, and tactician. Now, in the comics, he's generally drawn to be a bit more gruesome than what you see in this in this series here. Um, and he's like a lot of other comic characters, you know, he's been reimagined a number of times. But the one that I kind of thought of when when you see Jigsaw in this whole series, I think of uh, the Punisher Noir series. Now we've discussed Spider-Man Noir. We had uh, we spoke to David Hine, his creator. We mentioned him again in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse because he made his appearance there. But in Punisher Noir, you've got Jigsaw there and he wears this distinctive kind of white mask. And so although it's not exactly the same that we see Billy wearing in this series, it, it's very, very similar. And so I think they they must have taken inspiration from Punisher Noir um, to come up with that design. Now, Chris, last week we talked about the series background. And obviously splitting it up into two makes it a bit more tricky. So I'm intrigued. What are you going to talk about this week? Right, Dave, you are correct. I've gone off on a slight segue today. All I wanted to bring up was some more Punisher points of interest, whether it's a movie or an animated version of Frank Castle. So I want to talk about that and then some possible season three information as well that's come to light this week. So, Dave, after that tremendous impression last week of Dolph Lundgren, we start with the 1989 version of The Punisher. Now, in this one, which I find quite interesting, and I want a bit of feedback on this, Dave, is he's actually an ex-cop in this Frank Castle. Uh, is that actually something from the comics, or is it something that was, do you think was purely created for this movie? I think it was from the movie. So, so originally, he's a Vietnam vet, um, you know, so it's very much a, a military background. Uh, but what I do remember, I do want to go back and watch this one because I've, I've not seen it for years. You know, probably watched it a few times when it came out, but then haven't really seen it since the, the late 80s, early 90s. I think that was around about the time, though, when they took some of these comic book characters and then were almost embarrassed about them. So what I remember is, I mean, he didn't have the skull on his chest. He just had a... a you know, a tight black top. And so, you know, to show off his guns there, I guess. But, you know, it's it's almost like, well, why did you bother paying for the license then? Just <laughs> create yeah. something like Cobra, you know, with the Sylvester Stallone movie. Yeah. Who, by the way, I have to say, I, I do wonder how much inspiration Cobra uh, had from Punisher. But, yeah, so I think they just take the basic idea and then they just run with whatever story they want, you know, going back to that time. Exactly. Yeah. And then, no, thanks for that, Dave, because I've never seen it, so it's good, and we will review it. You're correct. The next one, Dave, is The Punisher from 2004. Now, that had John Travolta as the bad guy, Howard Sane, and Frank Cass was played by a guy called Thomas Jane. Now, it was, you know, it was a terrible, absolute mess of a film that got awful box office ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. It's like 17%. It's an absolute awful film. But there was talk of an actual sequel, and mainly because it had strong DVD sales, which is just ridiculous usually but if it's so bad at the box office it never performs well but it did so thomas jane wanted to reprise the role of frank castle and actually the guy who wrote the script for it's a guy called kurt sutter now i mentioned it last week to yourself and heather kurt sutter's the creator of 
Sons of Anarchy, which is one of my best TV shows of all time. But it just didn't take off. Jane actually said, I'm not gaining 12 pounds of muscle. Uh, I just didn't believe in the script. So it never got anywhere. So that was sort of canned. But then in 2008, we got Punisher Warzone with a guy called Ray Stevenson. I don't know if you've seen that one, haven't you, Dave? I, I've seen both of them. I, I, I actually quite like the Thomas Jane one, to be honest. I mean, it's not, it's not exactly, you know, it's, it's not, um, Avengers Infinity War or Black Panther or anything like that, you know, but I, I thought it was watchable. I, I thought it was pretty good. All oh, right. But like I say, again, I am new to this. I've never seen him. So I, I do want to see him myself, Dave, especially with what we're getting, you know, what's come out on Netflix. But yeah, so. He, he played. Now, this, again, another... This is you giving me a bit of knowledge, if you know, Dave, but his actual main baddie in this one was a guy called Billy Jigsaw Rizzotti. You now, is that, again, we well, you know it's Russo, but they've called him Rizzotti or Rizzotti. Risotto. Risotto, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they've obviously taken the Billy Russo character. Was he called that in the comics, or is he just something you think? Because he's a mob boss. So it looks like they've put a T and an I at the end of Russo and just named him that. Which, with me, he's pretty weak. Seems but... a bit, bit bizarre. No, it's, it's Billy Russo. Um uh, yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, I, I've again, I've seen the Punisher Warzone. I can't remember a great deal about it. Obviously, you got Ray Stevenson. He played uh, played Volstag in in the Thor uh, movies. There, yeah. um, he, I think the first thing I saw him in, he, he used to he used to have a part in Rome. So he, he pops up in these various roles. But I think that was a bit more of a violent take than like the Thomas Jane one. Um, but again, I, th- I thought it was decent. And and again, I, I think. The way Billy looked there, the Jigsaw character, was a bit more gruesome than what we see in this Netflix series. Right. Yeah, because he's not really. I mean, I must admit, that's the one thing I'd say, and we'll get into that in our review. The scars are a bit off, I think, at times on Billy. You can tell it's, it's you know, cosmetic effects, really, more than anything, if that makes sense. I, yeah, and he's, he's still he's still a dashing bloke, isn't he, old Ben mm. Barnes? He's a good-looking bloke, and the... And the the scars on his face don't really change that, do they? No, not really. Not, nothing that you would go, oh, my word. I'd, I'd expect him to be a lot more disfigured if we'd been on Exactly, it. yeah, yeah. And if you see him in the comics, he, he is properly, you know, uh, disfigured by this, uh, well, initially throwing through the plane of glass. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Now, the next uh, couple of uh, movies that he's actually in are animated ones. Now, the first one is Iron Man Rise of the Technovore, which is from 2013. And The Punisher is actually voiced by Norman Reedus, which anybody who watches The Walking Dead is actually Daryl Dixon. Um, and now, he's a supporting character in this more than anything. He's just sort of there in the background and, and along with Iron Man. But obviously, it's an Iron Man story, so he's just a supporting sort of good guy as such. The next one is Avengers Confidential, Black Widow and Punisher. Now, this one's where... The Punisher is the main protagonist in the actual animated uh, film at first, but then joins forces after he's captured by the S.H.I.E.L.D. with Black Widow. So, again, I've never seen it there. I don't know if you've seen either of these, Dave, at all. They are quite recent within the last five or six years. No, I've not seen either of those. I I might have seen a little bit of the Black Widow one, um, but... Generally, the the Marvel animated movies haven't been as good. If we get a quiet week, we can always look back at, at some of those. But yeah, old Norman Reedus, I, I was quite surprised when I saw that about him. Yeah, a bit of legend these days, anyway, The Walking Dead. But 
Uh, also, and then the last one is one that which is actually really interesting me more than anything else that I've mentioned above. Is called the Punisher Dirty Laundry, and mainly because it's an independently financed short film that they debuted it at the 2012 San Diego Comic Con, and the main co-star of it was Ron Perlman, who, as we all know, is Hellboy, and he's also out of Sons of Anarchy, someone everyone knows, I think, these days, don't they, Dave? So I'd be quite interested to watch that more than anything. I don't know how long it is, but just to see what the portrayal of the Punisher was on probably on such a low budget. Is it going to be Fantastic Four levels of awfulness, or is it actually going to be someone that's got really powerful supporting characters around the Punisher? I'm not sure, but that really does prick my interest. Yeah, yeah. So quite yeah, a good sounds one. good. Mm, yeah, quite a good one. Now, Dave, just before we go any further, just sort of wrap up uh, the movie section as such, is we've seen a couple of little snippets of possible season three of The Punisher, which, as we know with everything that's been cancelled from Daredevil to our good old friend Iron Fist, I just don't know, are they going to do it? Are they going to carry on with the Disney streaming stuff imminent? Is it a viable option? I mean, he's come out this week, John Berthon, and he's actually said he's at peace with the fact that he thinks it's going to be cancelled. So whether he's had heads up already, I'm not sure. But I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Dave. Do you think it warrants a third season? Obviously, we're going to get into the review, but I'd be happy for it because I like John Berthon's portrayal of him, but I'm not sure whether Disney will pull the rug from under them. I think if if I was a betting man, you know, if someone said, here's a tenner, uh, which way is it going to go? It's going to get cancelled, isn't it? Does it warrant it? I mean, the, the the showrunners have been coming out, haven't they, teasing. They've already got plans. They know what a season three looks like. And, you know, I, I'm, I am intrigued. And if they did manage to go ahead and make it, then I, I would definitely watch it. But if someone said to me, you could have Daredevil season four or Punisher season three, then it's Daredevil all the way. I think there's just more depth to the type of stories you can, you can have. And when we discuss in the review, um, you know, we can talk a little bit about that, about some of the, you know, what stories could you actually do? Um, but yeah, I, I think they're probably Netflix. They're going to give it a bit more time. It only dropped in the last few weeks, didn't it? So they'll, they'll wait to see how many people are actually watching it yeah. before they actually uh, give the green light or the red light. I think the one thing I would say, Dave, and obviously I mentioned this last week, I do totally agree on what you just said. It's, it's also... Who makes the decisions over there at Disney or Netflix? Whoever's made this decision with the Daredevil, because critically, the Daredevil's wipes the floor with the Punisher. Whether we like it, you like it, Heather likes it, as we get into the review. Critically, which is the main thing with these sort of shows and viewership, Daredevil wiped the floor with the Punisher, even season two. It's, it's very interesting. It's got to be that they're going to use the Daredevil on their service because it's such a strong show. <laughs> Well, something we haven't discussed, I don't think, or, or we may have, um, I think it was, was it last year or the year before? Basically, you know, Mark Millar, had, he's probably been one of the most prolific writers in creating his own characters in the last few years. And he'd created his own little brand called Millar World. So things like Kick-Ass were part of that. And Netflix had bought that. And uh, now that I think about it, I'm sure it's a couple of years ago. So it could be that as successful as Daredevil might be, it might be more about just prioritizing that longer-term vision of saying, right, well, 
comic book characters. We're going to create, we're going to focus on our own properties and Disney, you, you can have yours back because at the time when they got the rights to all the defenders characters, they didn't own Millar world. Ah, right. So I, I wonder, and I, I haven't honestly, I haven't seen that kind of conspiracy theory out there, but just as we're talking through now, my mind just goes back to that acquisition. And, and so I think that that might have something to do with it rather than just being a, a pure ratings game. You know what, Dave? That's a really great point because I have read that myself about Mark Millar as well because we'd, we'd retweeted a few of his mentions about Netflix picking up his stuff and his work. So, yeah, great point, Dave. Welcome back, guys. We are joined again by our good friend, Professor Heather Nesk. How are you doing, Heather? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Really well, really well. Thank you for last week as well. And um really looking forward to the second part of the review today. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm glad to be back here. Oh, good stuff. Good no, stuff. It's great to have you back. And so we've already talked a little bit about some of the series background and some of the comic background. And I just wondered what your perspective was you know, from a psychology perspective on Billy Russo. So Billy... Billy's a pretty interesting character, and actually, he's one of my favorite parts um, of this show. I think that they don't really talk about it, so I'm really just projecting here, guys, but I think B- Billy had a little bit of brain damage from uh, what Frank did to him. Because to me, he's acting very different than season one Billy. Season one Billy, you know, he was ruthless. But in a very sophisticated kind of way, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, and he built a company and there's some of the same characteristics that he still has in season two, but he carries them out differently. And he has a really difficult time controlling his anger now in season two. You didn't see that in season one. Yeah. He was and calm and collected, wasn't he, in, in he season was, one? He was calm and collected and he was cool and he was always wearing the nice suits and his hair was nice. And now he's, as far as like his good looks, he's kind of been taken down a peg or two, I guess, with his, his scars. He's still Billy Barnes. Yeah, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> ben Barnes. Ben um, Barnes, yeah. Yeah, he's um, still an attractive guy, but, you know... He, he, I guess he feels like he's ugly now. So maybe he's not putting as much effort into his appearance. But, you know, his face was, his whole head was just torn all to bits. And he was put into a coma for, I don't remember how long. They didn't think that he would even come out of it. I think there's the element of, you know, now I, I my best friend did me wrong. But there, there has to be some, something something happened with him as far as like uh, actual brain trauma, is my guess. And that, that's interesting because we were discussing about Frank last week, weren't we? And, and whether, you know, in Daredevil season two, they played up that he'd had a brain trauma. And so that was what had... Um, had set him off on that particular path. And so maybe it was more that rather than something like PTSD. So it's interesting that you say that, you know, for Billy's probably it's more physical. Yeah. And, you know, 
that's cool that you bring that point about Frank, because as I finished watching these six episodes, I was thinking about what you said about how he's the he's the Joker mm-hmm. um, for, for Frank. And they really they really lean into that. And so there is a lot of parallels between between Billy and Frank. And especially in like, you know, now that they've gone through their trauma, how do they react to it? And with Billy, in the same way you guys were saying, like with Frank, a, a switch goes off and there's nothing stopping him. Billy has that now. And I don't remember that from season one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, the Batman and Joker. So Batman locks up the Joker each series or each episode and, and then he comes back next week. So uh, we'll maybe talk about that when we get to our final review. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had a little bit of a surprise um, near the end there, but... Yeah. We'll get on to that later. Now, good stuff. Now, shall we go into the review, guys? Let's, Let's do go. it. So, we've reviewed episodes one to six. This is episode seven to 13, and basically a complete review. So, we start with it entitled One Bad Day. Now, this one, I've got to say, guys, is Billy and our good friend, Dr. Dumont, their relationship now becomes a sexual relationship. They're now a couple as such, which has got to be the strangest couple we've seen probably since the Joker and Harley Quinn for just ridiculousness, I think, at times, because uh, I still don't buy her as a character. And... Hot on the tails of this, we've got this whole... She seems to feel she's got a bit of a control over Billy. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that. And I don't necessarily think she has when you're watching it, but she has a real high opinion of herself, I think. And I don't know whether that's just the part she's playing, but I am not invested in her as a character at all. What do you think, Heather? I think... I'm glad that you brought up Joker and Harley Quinn, because that's what (laughs) I was totally thinking as well. I think the dynamic's a little is reversed from Joker and Harley Quinn. So if your audience is probably familiar with them, the Joker is very manipulative and controlling of Harley. You know, she throws her punches too, but with with Billy and, and Krista, the doctor, um, she's the one who wants to be in control of him. And I, I got the feeling that she has she's done this before with other patients. Like this, this isn't just with Billy. This is something about her as a character. I think last week I said something about a savior complex, but I think it's more like wanting to control and here's someone I see broken. Not only do I want to save them, but I'm the only one who could save them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree. And, and I think as well as in this episode, we get the, the whole thing where Frank, Hoyle and Madani, they go off to Billy and the veterans, don't they? And what I found interesting was this is where Billy and his gang are plotting this sort of robbery, aren't they? And then they're going after a, a payday loan business. But I struggled a little bit with this, with Billy. It seemed like a completely different character to the one we'd seen in the in the hospital and what we'd seen before that. He could have that control to be in charge of a gang of robbers and sort of ex-veterans. I, I, I just didn't know whether, he, whether I was convinced by that whole transformation in his character in some of this, whether he had that sort of 
reflex and insight to actually plan something like this. Because as, as you said, Heather, the fact that he had brain damage and stuff as such, and he, he was struggling with all sorts of different memories. But sometimes these memories just seem to come back without any explanation. And I couldn't work out whether we were supposed to be invested in the fact that he was getting back to himself. I wasn't sure what was going on. I guess I interpreted it that that he was we were starting to get more of the old Billy, you mm. know. So he, in, through the first few episodes, you know, he was uh, he, he couldn't remember anything. That he seemed to be more of a sympathetic character. Whereas in this episode, I think you're getting a little bit more of uh, that, you know, him taking on that role of a leader, you know, leading the other guys in the in the gang and so i thought the thing that struck me as a as a little bit odd he, he still seemed to be holding back didn't he so you know the woman at this payday loan place was was having none of it and you're just waiting for him to kind of shoot down the the perspex or or something or just go a bit nuts but i thought he was actually fairly restrained at at that point and the thing that i have to say i didn't buy out of this episode is is the fact that they had someone on the inside now i didn't recognize this guy yeah as being in the gang yeah, um, that was a surprise yeah i th- i thought it was just they hadn't been planning it for that long and so where did this where did this guy come from? I think um and I think something that you're kind of getting on or getting at is they have explanations for all of like why Billy does what he does. Like on one hand, you know, he's had this trauma, physical or emotional or both, and now he goes off uh he gets unhinged. But also like he he's always been this smart guy and previously he had a company, well he doesn't have that anymore, so now he's building up this this gang, I guess. And in the same way, I'm like, well, why does he never, you never see him go off just unhinged on Mm -hmm. one of his boys. Yeah. And then it's like, well, he values brotherhood so much. So the show, I think puts a lot of various different motivations or reasons in Billy. And you kind of have to like keep track of them all because in different situations, he'll act differently. If that makes sense. No, no, I think he does. I think, I think, what I mentioned in the background last week of Billy's character was Ben Barnes wanted to portray very much like the vulnerability of Wilson Fisk, you know, in the first series of Daredevil, where you got a bit of a backstory with him. So, yeah, that would make sense. And I do think, as well, to be fair, this last scene of this this episode was one of the best of the, the whole series for me because, obviously, Frank had interrogated that ex-soldier who was part of Billy's gang who'd moved away and, and for some reason got a fever and went back to his apartment and Frank obviously as we said before he interrogated him and absolutely levers him and punches him and everything but then he wears his mask doesn't he and as they're coming out of this lone place and they're, they're sort of firing guns and trying to get into the cars quick Billy gets shouted at and he ignores the guy thinking it's the veteran like his ex-mate and it's not and it's Frank and I absolutely loved this when he, when he revealed who he was because mm-hmm. Billy his whole world just shut, didn't it? Because he couldn't understand what was going on, why he was here. But once he saw the Punisher uh, logo on his vest, it all come back to him that it was actually Frank who'd, who'd caused all this pain to him. And I thought I was really good, to be fair. Yeah, um, what, what did yeah. you make to that, Heather? That was a really good scene. And I, I think that really um, lends to Barnes's acting. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't say anything, but you knew every single emotion going through him 
because of his face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think he does, as an actor, waver between you see Billy as this, this strong, masculine leader of his guys. And, but then sometimes he, he wavers from that to he, he looks kind of almost like a hurt little boy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his best friend just kicked him. Um, so it, it, it is really cool how the actor goes between this guy who kind of has it together as a villain and also the, the vulnerable state. Yeah. What yourself, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you just you know you do empathise with him there because he's got the you know that last bit of his memory he's missing, isn't he? So the bit where he betrays Frank. So you know, to his memory, all of his world, you know, Frank's his best friend, and he's had all of these nightmares. So he can see the the skull on the chest and you know he's haunted by those and then you know to have that all come together and frank is this you know the person wearing this insignia it's like yeah like heather says you know he he doesn't say a word but he's just frozen and you can see it all swimming around in his head it's it's really impressive and, and I must admit, you know, we're going into, this is obviously the end of the episode, we'll go straight to the next episode, and it's just basically a continuation of the same scene. It was almost felt like a bit of a film, really. And I had a feel of heat from years ago, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, with this oh, yeah. this sort of shootout and chase, because Billy's frozen, there's guns going off all around him, and, you know, conveniently, not one of them hits him, luckily, and he's standing there having a bit of um, an anxiety attack, panic attack. And then, then Sue's then, he's just a great chase through this sort of back streets of this, this city, isn't there, where uh, Billy, he's, he's, Frank's going after Billy, Billy goes, then Frank's getting a uh, sniper, he's shooting at Frank from the, um, like the ease of another building. And then sort of to save the day, Hoyle comes along and, and punches the sniper, and then he's he's got a clear shot on Billy, which he can't actually get off. And we get this battle with Billy, and a bit of a Rambo moment where he just goes full automatic weapon and takes everyone out and then goes after Frank. And I, I thought the start to this episode was great. It was very phonetic, very, it's very much like a film. It never, it never feels to me when I'm watching this that it's actually a TV series. You can mm-hmm. tell there's no expense be- spared on the budget. And, it, and the set pieces are really clever. I think it really contains the story, but it's, it's believable as well when you're watching it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I I think like all of the Netflix, you know, 13 episode series, I, I think it it feels very much like it ebbs and flows, you know, and, and I, I'm never sure they they ever quite nail it. I guess Daredevil season three is probably the one where I it didn't feel to me like it was lulling a little bit. Um, and it, I guess it feel, it felt to me like, you know, in the middle of the season, it, it did lull a little bit, but I agree this, this particular scene was, uh, was full of action there and, and Hoyle really sort of stepping up because he, he, he'd been that peripheral character in season one, hadn't he? But he, he showed he's pretty handy in this bit as well. Yeah, useful. What about yourself, Heather? Yeah, you know, you were saying that you were thinking of, like, the, the gangster movies. Uh, w- watching Frank and Billy in the street, I, w- I was getting some Captain America Winter, Sol- Winter Soldier vibes. Mm-hmm. Because uh, yeah. here you have, the, yeah, you have these two friends in the street, and one conveniently has amnesia, and it's just uh, all these emotions going on, plus the shootout. Yeah, 
Yeah, so that's a good point. I never thought that, actually. Yeah, very good point. And I think as well, what you said before, Dave, and we've said to a few times, it's very much, you, you can see that they've taken a lot of good things out of good films, like the Captain America, you just said it, Captain America makes complete sense, but I get a vibe of the Dark Knight as well. The Batman and the Joker, as we said, as you both said before, it feels like that 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 sort of dynamic as well. The way the character is, and and even the way that the fight scenes and the shooting, I think it does feel like they've not stolen, but they've took a lot of inspiration from what's actually worked on the screen, not just you know something completely different, which I think's a good and it's a testament to the actors as well to pull it off. Yeah, mm. and I I think you know part of it is like what well, I can't blame them. Because, you know, it works so well in superhero movies and there's a formula um, and it, it worked well here, you know. So even though it, it reminds me of other things, I think that that adds to it rather than takes away. Because then, OK, now I'm kind of thinking of Captain America and like comparing him with Frank and it, it helps me understand Frank more. By yourself, Dave? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And again, you just, I think at this point, you're, for me at least, I'm empathizing with Billy's character a bit more because, you know, Frank lets him know in no uncertain terms, you know, he's the one who's responsible for all his scars. And again, since Billy's come out of his coma, he's just been haunted by the these images of the skulls in his nightmares and, you know, doesn't know, he's confused. Why do I have all these scars and what have you? And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, playing these two off against each other, yeah, there's only there's only a finite number of ways you can tell a, a story, isn't there? So I, I'm quite happy as well, I think, that they just borrow from, from other great films. I, I'm happier than stealing from something like Nick Fury. Yeah. <laughs> or or like Iron Fist, even. Or but anyway. the Iron Fist, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's not go down that, that rabbit hole again. Um, but, yeah, you're right, Dave. Um, but also, that, so from there, Billy goes back to the warehouse. They're all sort of arguing. The guy who, who was on the inside is obviously, they're all trying to get a bit greedy, staking claim to the fact that they deserve more money and that. And Billy does what I think I was expecting Billy to do, and just shoots a couple of them dead and just is like, right, I've had enough for you two. And I think, like we were saying before, now he's, he's got that bit of empathy. This is at the point where I think his character just completely changes. And, and he shoots them both, picks up the, the money, you know, I'm, I'm sort of off. And he goes back to his uh, girlfriend now, Dr. DeMont. Now, she she does sort of stoke the flames with his hate of Frank, doesn't he? You know, sort of saying that he isn't the man that Billy fought, um, you know, Billy vows then that he's going to create an army of veterans to sort of take on the world. And, and Frank's also in two minds because he froze himself. He couldn't shoot Billy. He admits that to Hoyle, doesn't he? He's having a real uh, prick of conscience that, that what should he have done? So he actually visits the grave of his family for sort of guidance and try to understand where he is and give him a bit of clear direction of what he needs to do. And, and I think that's quite a good thing. It's a very much a, a point in the, the story that needs to be told, I think, because Frank loved him, did he? You know, he's his mate mm -hmm. and, and it, it, you know, we, we get these little flashback scenes with the two of them. They were brothers together, weren't they? So yeah, I, I think it's, I think overall it's a, it was a good episode. This is one of the strongest of the series for me. You definitely see that they're both conflicted, aren't they? Like you say, they had that bond, that closeness. 
Um, and, and here you see they're both conflicted. But uh, to Heather's point earlier, you know, this is where Dr. DeMont really starts to manipulate Billy, you know, and, and starts to pull his strings, you know, and he's just a bit of a loose cannon, isn't, isn't he? And, you know, she just kind of points him off in the, in the right direction. Yeah. yeah, I think you're exactly right with that. Is that he? He's the one who, I guess, has the the power and kind of like the the need for revenge. But mm-hmm. she, you're right; she's she's the one pointing him. I also think from this episode, we kind of get the important part of like we've talked about um, how they Billy and Frank are uh, are similar. They're kind of like two sides to the same coin. Um, but Frank is very much against admitting that he he's he insists that he's not like billy yeah which he is <laughs> you're right you're right <laughs> you're completely right and we go into the next episode called which i thought was quite a nice name this was flush the cluck uh, and i, I you said had to that really right. concentrate before yeah. you said that didn't you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah <laughs> i've not seen it again but yeah that's the one you're right now but yeah so billy's arm, army of guys they go on another robbery murder spree throughout the city and we also get then we get john pilgrim comes back into it because he's not been in it for a couple of episodes have we has he so he comes back in and uh, anderson his boss who's like the, the daddy he says to him Dad of the uh, politician, he sets the bounty, doesn't he, on Frank and Amy of $5 million. Mm-hmm. So we get like um, a whole arc around that. So obviously Frank's got enough to worry about with Billy, but he's also got this pilgrim guy popping up from time to time as well now. Because he was he was in it from the start, but he seems to die off a little bit after about the sixth episode. And he's told the Billy story. So you, you've contained so many sort of little origin stories within this series, which I find quite interesting. But he doesn't take things away. So it, Russo sort of breaks into Madani's apartment and we get the first confrontation of them both properly. And, you know, she admits to Billy that he'd killed Frank's family. He couldn't understand why Frank had done it. And you sort of thinking, is Billy going to shoot Madani? But he doesn't. He leaves her, doesn't he? And, and she, she's going to make him a drink and goes to find another gun. And he's like, you, you know, your other gun's there and you'd shoot me if you want. And then Madani goes from being nice to, yeah, I would have shot you. I would have killed you. So, you know, you get that whole dynamics with her. And I think, to be fair, what you find with Madani is, I think she actually loves Billy. And as much as she hates him, it's more the fact that she's a lover scorned because of what he did to her. Mm-hmm. And, and the betrayal. I don't know whether you picked up on that, Dave, but I was genuinely could see that. I thought at some point maybe they were going to have another affair or something because it, the, the tension was very well acted between the two, the two characters. I, I'd love to know what Heather makes of this as well, but I kind of got that sense not not so much that she still loves him but i guess the the people who can hurt you the most are are the people who you're closest to and they you know they had a a very close relationship in that first season didn't they so yeah i i think she's i've not really seen her in anything else but i thought she was a really good actress and you know you could feel the tension in the these scenes with with madani and billy you know, and uh, you're kind of wondering where that's going to go. But just in terms of Madani's character, I mean, what what did what did you think of that, Heather? I think where um, where Madani is at right now is that she's she's a woman who doesn't let herself be very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she's a higher up in the Department of Homeland Security. 
she's had to have been pretty ruthless and stoic a lot of her career to get where she is. Um, and ju- just the nature of, of what it, uh, of her job. And so I get the idea that she does not let herself be vulnerable very often, but I think you're right. I think she did love Billy. Yeah. And yeah. she opened herself up to Billy and, 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 and he just ruined that. And I think she's just, I don't know if she loves him anymore. I think she's angry at him. I think she's a little angry at herself too. And I think we see that later on in the episode, but she's angry that she let herself be vulnerable at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think because she does, she's in a position or a job where her judgment and assessment of people is life and death. And she's relying on her own instincts. She never picked up on that with Billy because of her love and sort of the passion that was between him was very powerful in the first series. So I thought, I think that's a great point actually. And, and, She's a very strong character, Madani, as well, all the way through it. She doesn't feel like she's a supporting character to Frank. She has her own story arc in it as well. So I think she, uh, the, the actual actress plays a great part. She really, really gets into it. I kind of was a little annoyed in the first half of what they were doing with the character because she is such a strong character. And the actress was, um, you know, giving 100% for everything that they were giving her, but she, it, they seemed like they were just writing her as this angry woman who's doing kind of ridiculous things, mm-hmm. like standing at, in his hospital room for a year. Every um, day, yeah. Every day <laughs> for a year. And, and I'm like, well, are they just going to kind of like make her just the angry scorn lover? But I think, especially right here when, when she, conf- when Billy confronts her, that's when her character starts getting going a little bit more and she has this more fleshed out arc. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I, sorry, Dave, are you going to say? Can't remember now. Couldn't have been important as my mum would say. That's all right. If it was important, I'd, I'll remember it. But no, so I guess the, sorry, the only thing I'd say, and it, it's moving on from Madani again, because we, we don't get a conclusion at this point, but, I was trying to find if this John Pilgrim guy had any roots, you know, did he have a different name in the in the comics? And I couldn't really find a character that was exactly the same. So there are a few. Uh, I mentioned I thought he might be the Holy uh, that is in there. There's also another character called the Rev. And I think I think this John Pilgrim chap, I, I think he is just newly created for the TV show, and he's probably just an amalgamation of of all of those kind of supervillain characters for the Punisher. And, That's I mean, interesting that they did that. Yeah, uh, it's to be fair. It's, and then the guy who plays him is actually out of the Dark Knight Rises. He's he's actually Bane's henchman. Is it Josh Stewart? He's been in quite a few things. I, I, when I was doing my research, I was thinking, I recognise him. I couldn't work out. And, and he is like the main guy. He has a bit of a beard in The Dark Knight Rises. Ah, uh, okay. So that's where he's oh. from, Dave. He's been in a few things. But, right, right. Because I thought it was an unknown, but he's not. He's been in quite a few there things. There we go. Fact, fact for next week then on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll keep that one, Dave, in the pocket. But, yeah. So going through the episode, Amy decides to flee. She goes into the city to contact one of her friends this girl, straight away, you're getting the vibe. You definitely can't be trusted. She's telling her like she's in a friend's apartment and all this. And what happened just before that was Frank had gone into a bar looking for um, Billy and then realised as he came outside, he gets confronted by about eight blokes, doesn't he, who 
or six blokes who tell him basically there's a five million dollar bounty and what are you going to do about it, Frank? You know, we're sick here. And he pulls out the old wild gunman, okay, Corral. He just basically fires six shots in one go and, and takes all of them out. And he realizes that him and Amy are in danger. When he finds out Amy's not there, he, he's absolutely mortified. He knows she's going to. You know, she, she's in trouble. And then he ends up, Amy's ignoring his calls while she's at her friends. And he just says to her, you know, there's a bounty you need to get back. And she's having none of it. And all of a sudden, he just, which I thought was really good, is he says, how much can you trust your friend? And then puts the phone down. And the next minute, she realises that Amy, she looks around the apartment that she's in trouble. And a load of mercenaries then come into the apartment block with her friend. And, and Amy's had it on her toes up the stairs. And we get a great, sort of another action sequence again where Frank comes because she's texting, telling him her location so he can come and save her. She knows he's in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean, we're all thinking, aren't we, <laughs> you know, straight away, fr before Frank says, there's no way you can trust her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's amazing, or maybe it, 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 it alludes to more of Frank being, wanting to just be a dad, but I got so frustrated with Amy at different parts throughout this series. I'm like, you silly, just irresponsible teenager. You're run He told you to stay there. And now you're, you go off to this friend. You, you know, you can't trust the friend. And he, I would just get so much more frustrated. And he just keeps saving her. He keeps saving her. And I think it almost, it builds his affection for her while I'm over here just getting frustrated. He like, <laughs> He, because he, he's taking care of her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I must say, though, however, I did speak to Dave after we both watched it, and I must say, I get a little, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, for someone who has it loves violence and wanting mayhem and killing in these films, you know, don't worry, I'm not a psychopath, but I genuinely, <laughs> uh, I just love that. That's my, my sort of okay. arena, is I get a little bit bored and fatigued with the constant, like you've just said, saving of Amy and the fights that Frank goes through. It just relentless every single episode. I, I know the first series, there was some really poor, slow episodes that were a bit unnecessary and just basically filled out the series to make it 13 episodes. But in this, I think sometimes there's a few set pieces, as much as they're great to watch, that I, I don't know. I think the Daredevil did it better. It wasn't like every episode was an absolute bloodbath. But in this, because it's because of the character, the Punisher, I just get a little bit fatigued with the same formula in some of the episodes. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that at all. I, I think uh, I, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. And I, I touched on it a little bit earlier um, when we were going through the, the series background. But for a series three, you know, I'd like to see John Bernthal carry on as the Punisher, but I'm not sure I need to see a season three of just focusing on the Punisher. I think I'd like to see him interacting with some of the other Defenders characters if, you know, I had a wish because it, it did seem to be a, it did seem to get a little bit samey. I mean, how many times can he gun down people and, you know, take a, take a load of punishments himself? So I, I don't know. What, what did you think of that, Heather? Yeah, so I, I didn't pick up so much on the fatigue, but I really do, I get what you're saying. What I did notice at, while I was watching the episodes was that they, as violent as these first six episodes already were, they step it up even more. I think this was the episode, does he go to the bar and he has the guy's thumb and he yes. just like drops it into a shot glass? Yes, I was like, oh my one. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're just yeah. we're just doing that. And there's other like we'll we'll get to those episodes. But there were some times where I was like, this is just carnage. This is wild that they're filming this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, I think it, it, this series so far as well, and, and to get to the end of it, is there's some fantastic set pieces without a doubt. Like I said, I just got a bit fatigued. And I think I'll explain that probably more at the end. But so from here, we do get the, the thing, that thing that Frank has been trying to show Amy how to defend herself with a gun, how to load a gun, defend herself. I, I've done a training thing called Krav Maga, Heather, which I did it for like a year where it's it's an Israeli self-defense against guns and knives. Now, don't get me wrong, the instructions tell you to run. But a lot of the stuff that Frank does and his character and the choreography of the fighting and even like the gun, the way they grab the guns and that, it's very much Krav Maga style because that's like a street fighting self-defense where basically anything goes. So a lot of the stuff Frank does, I see a lot of similarities with how I was trained. I'm not saying I could do it because it's not like that. You know, basically, if you see a knife or a gun, you've run. That's that's the best advice <laughs> anybody give you. But if you really have to, the, the way she grabbed the gun and off that, that soldier who had her pinned down because she was hidden in the um, utility cupboard, and the way and the way Frank was set, grabbing stuff and the way he fights, he's very much Krav Maga. So it's really interesting to watch and see it uh, choreographed. Uh, the way it's choreographed, uh, that is not even a word, but the way it's portrayed on the choreographed. I'm getting that excited with the Krav Maga. But yeah, um, but, but genuinely, I, I do think they've not took it up a level. But but yeah, Amy does redeem herself by shooting the guy, and then she's panicking that. She's killed him, and Frank just comes up as like, you haven't killed him, and then he kills him. <laughs> Which I think is brilliant to take the burden off her that she's going to have it on her conscience. She's killed somebody. He's like, I've killed hundreds of people. What's this? Bang. And then I thought that was like you said, Heather, it's, it's brutal, but it's a, like a caring side of Frank, as if to say, you don't need that burden in your life. I have to carry that every day. And I thought that come across really well. We, we paused the episode and cracked up when that happens because here like he's this he's this killing machine but he's also it's like if you went to your dad and you're upset and you know that stereotypical thing where dads don't know what to do with their little girls is tears but they they want to problem solve he he solved the problem you didn't <laughs> kill him i killed him <laughs> everything's fine don't cry <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say about um, Amy being quite frustrating, and I definitely share that frustration as well. But I think the I, I thought the actress did a good job, but I think I think she was playing a character that was slightly younger than the actress. If that makes sense. So you know, being this reckless teenager, she's very clearly in her early to mid twenties. But I, I felt at various stages throughout the story that I thought she must be playing like a seventeen or eighteen year old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't nail down Amy's age. I just kind of settled on teenager. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I think the character is, but I, I'm not having that the actress is a teenager. That's that's what yeah. I'm saying. I think, and and at various points throughout the story. I think casting a slightly younger actress might have fit a little bit better, you know, with, with her actions, with what she was doing and, and being that reckless. Yeah, I, th I think that when, I, when that hit me, and I know it sounds a bit, bit strange, but when she was dressed up in episode six as a schoolgirl, 
it was blatantly obvious that she was not schoolgirl age. Does that make sense? Yeah, you, you yeah. Couldn't, yeah. You couldn't associate the fact that she was like 15 or 16. She looked around about 24, 25. Yeah, and, and yeah. Me, she's probably about 40, the same age as me, but you know how it is in Hollywood. <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite uh, Beverly Hills 90210, is it, where all no, the students no. are 30 or something? <laughs> <laughs> Jason Priestley's 38 with four yeah. kids in real life. Yeah, he's only 17, yeah. I used to watch that, actually, religiously, funny enough, Dave. That's, that's, bad. That, that's really bad. Now, the next episode, I've got to say, it's got some of the, some of the most, as you were saying, Heather, with the fun in the bar and putting it in the drink and stuff, because it was like a <laughs> the, the thumbprint on the guy's phone to show the girl in the last episode. You are correct, because he's like trying to blackmail her. But John Pilgrim goes to his ex-gang, who are obviously all white supremacists, aren't they, Nazis? And he's talking to the main guy. He's like, I've turned my life around, and he's sat there, and he's, 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 he's got his uh, priest's outfit on. And the main guy he was talking to just rolls his sleeve up where we see, like, the swastika sign. And all these guys come in. And then it flashes away. And the next minute, John Pilgrim is pulling... I mean, I've got to say, I've seen some bad things in these series, but he pulls a tooth out yeah. the top of his head with blood streaming down the face where he's head-butted this guy who's coming at him and he levers. He, he beats up basically about eight people and kills them all, doesn't he? And, and you see him snorting cocaine and he's drinking again. All the things that have gone against these vowels. And, and this is obviously the guy he was before he saw or found God. And I just thought it was so graphic. It was unbelievable. I think, I think that's really where they were escalating it, where they were like, they were, they were just all in for the, for the violence. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, and it's, it's funny as this scene, cause they do it in a kind of nonlinear way, don't they? You know, this whole interaction between him and his former gang uh, they'll go and they'll flash back to some of the different fights and it, it was sort of spread out throughout the episode. Yeah. And from your description there, you know, he doesn't sound very redeemable, but I did find myself a little bit kind of warm into him. You know, he'd obviously yeah. been a fairly distasteful uh, or running with a distasteful crowd in the past. Um, he's obviously still got his deadly skills and everything, but I don't know. I just found something a bit more sympathetic with him in this episode. I think so, too. I, I, I found myself uh, sympathizing with him more and more uh, in the other episodes. One thing um, that I really liked with this this like, montage of he's like, oh, well, I, I broke some of my vows, so I might as well be all in now. Um, and I don't know how graphic we can get on your show, but in the when he's in the hotel and one of the girls is in front of him and he's kind of monologuing which was very weird um but he he talks about how he you have to smash the mirror and decide who am i and it made me think of frank because frank literally smashed some mirrors with billy's face and yeah. decided i'm not like billy even mm -hmm. though he really is and so I was like, oh, okay, so now we, we even have John Pilgrim, who's kind of like Frank. Um, you know, I mean, he's, he's the only one who can really go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Frank, who's not, you know, scared of, of, of meeting him head-on in, in an actual fight. And there's almost this element of he wants to turn away from this life of violence, but it's drawing him back in. Same way with Frank, and it started off with the series. 
Um, it's almost the, the third side to the same coin. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I was the same with both of you. I, I could sort of see, as a wrestling fan, Heather, the old heel turn, he was becoming a face uh, pilgrim because he'd been this horrible man at like the police station at the start to get Amy and that. But when you actually think about it, he didn't actually kill any of them policemen, did he? Actually, that one who got shot, the brother, uh, the policeman and his brother, he shot the, the policeman. He didn't actually kill anybody, did he? So, I mean, the intention was there. But I did, I did the same, and there was a compassion for his character where you think, well, he's actually doing it for his family, all this. Yeah. And he, he was being strung along by Martha Kent, which I wasn't happy about. In, in, <laughs> uh, Lana Lang should never be doing that, that sort of stuff. I was not happy about her being a, being a baddie in this. But, but yeah, so... Obviously, we get a little flashback. Madani's with Dumont. And again, that Dumont, I don't know what it is about. I just do not, I just cannot take to the to the character at all. And they're talking about Frank and uh, Billy. And and I think it comes across a little bit with Madani that this is some compassion there with Dumont because she's sort of stuck up for Billy at the start of the series. And, and it carries on all the way through. And obviously, the lovers. So it's, it's, it's blatantly obvious something's going on. But Madani's not kicked in yet with what actually is the relationship, or if she's seen Billy. No, what I was going to say was it, it's interesting because Madani opened herself up to Billy in a romantic way, and so she was vulnerable to Billy, and then he he ruined that. Yeah. And now she doesn't know what's going on with Dumont, and she's opening herself because she's she's the kind of character like she doesn't have a lot of friends that she goes and has brunch with. She's she's not that kind of of woman. Mm-hmm. But now. Krista is kind of opening it herself, like, come into my apartment, you know, we'll have some wine and we'll talk about these guys. And so Madani's opening herself up to having another, a a, a woman for a friend. And you see it and it's like, she's going to do the same thing Billy did. She's opening it every time she opens herself up to someone, they just smash it. Yeah, I agree. It didn't really seem consistent with the character, did it? No. No, I, I think that's a good point. Again, another one. I, I, I think some of the little, the dialogues and some of the actual, as you just said, the relationships, I don't know whether sometimes they're actually necessary within the to fit within the story. I don't know. I, I, I think that's a very good point. I guess for the story's sake, though, so DeMont manages to get some, you know, inspiration from Madani. And uh, again, she's there manipulating Billy, isn't she? You know, and saying that, you know, to really get to Frank, Frank sees himself as the hero. And so to really get to him, you have to take that away. You have to make sure that he doesn't think he's the hero anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you do. They do. And what happens then is Billy sets him up. Frank goes after the gang. where Actually, Billy's base is called Valhalla, where they've had all these girls there and Frank goes after Billy, but it's an absolute setup, isn't it? He, he walks into a room and there's some proper graphic. It's almost like a daredevil scene, to be fair, where Frank's getting slashed in by Billy's gang who are all in like the, the sort of the, the masks and stuff. And, and Frank looks like he's done for, like he's dead. And all of a sudden, that sort of inner rage takes over. Billy escapes, and Frank then just kills all the, his henchmen, all the mercenaries who have attacked him. But then just as you were saying about his moral code, Dave, and his, his sort of uh, his belief that he's better and he's a good guy, he walks into a room where three of the girls are dead, aren't they? But at the same mm-hmm. time, 
the police come in. So it looks like Frank has, has basically executed him, but it's not. It's Billy who's done that, but he's just set Frank up completely. Now, this is where you know, I was saying just before, Heather, about fatigue. I was a bit thingy thinking, he, he literally was dead, Frank. And I'm thinking, how many times is he going to keep getting shot and stabbed? <laughs> And run, run over and everything else before his body gives up. No medical science, and he's not a superhero, as in, other than the fact he's got his rage. I don't know. I, I, I sound really negative. I'm not. I'm enjoying the series, but I really. This was the episode that tipped me over the edge, I think, with Frank. You know what? It's really funny you say that because it, it's. I think it's almost at the exact same time where I was thinking, you know, this is just a bit too unbelievable now. So yeah. when he was getting slashed to ribbons by Billy's gang, I was thinking, well, oh, come on. You know, and like you say, he was out for the count. And, you know, big fan of the wrestling, aren't you, Chris? So, yeah. You know, it, it was almost like that. It's like Hulk Hogan, he's down. He's not never possibly getting up. Oh, wait, he's got his second wind. He's back up again. I, I think it was at that moment. And I'm thinking, all right, this this might be a bit too much for me now. Yeah. I, I think it's it's unbelievable one, that Billy really underestimates Frank because he, he's he's down for the count, but he's Frank Castle. And Frank Castle's never going to be down for the count unless you actually kill him. And yeah. Billy should know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't kill him when he has the chance, which maybe goes back to the whole brotherhood thing, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other unbelievable part is... Both Frank and John Pilgrim for the rest of the episodes are just swollen and they have bones sticking out and they're so bruised they can barely see out of their eyes. But they keep going <laughs> for like five days later. And I'm like, you you have so much internal bleeding. It makes no sense for you to be walking right now. But they're still taking other people out. Yeah, yeah. Like eight guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've explained it better than what I was getting to. Yeah, it's so right, both of you and you, Dave. Exactly what you said. It it was a tipping point slightly. And we go into the next episode. We get one of the greatest characters, I think, of the Netflix sort of world of the Marvel Universe as such is Karen, Karen Page comes in as a cameo. Now, we know from season one she's got a great relationship with Frank, almost sort of the sex, sexual chemistry between them. You, you, I always thought there might have been something there between them properly, but she comes to visit and he's in hospital because Frank thinks he's killed the three prostitutes. He gives himself up as such and he's, he's attached to the bed and we get Karen there, don't we? And uh, Madani's in there. And and I've got to say, though, I've got to say, Amy gets stressed up because they know they've got to get Frank out. She gets stressed <laughs> up as a nurse. And the copper who's, the police guy who's on the door, the cop, says to her, you look too young to be a nurse. And I'm thinking, no, she doesn't, mate. You look about the right age. Let's yeah. Come on now, we're not that daft, yeah. as we said before. And she comes a bit backwards and forwards. But ultimately... The copper gets changed on the door, and the copper who replaces him comes in. Who looks like he's he actually looks like the Joker the way he's smiling maniacally. You say, away, you're thinking, Well, this isn't going to be good for Frank, is it? Let's be honest, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not going to end well for the guy. And it's a big battle. Amy comes in, the guy's strangling Amy, and then Madani saves Amy and, and cracks him over the head, doesn't he? And we get to the point where we know Frank is under attack, and it feels a bit like. As I said before, 
the Dark Knight where Commissioner Gordon's in the hospital and he has to get out before the Joker's henchmen come in. That's what he felt like a bit to me. And obviously Frank gets dressed up as a policeman, doesn't he, and puts the full suit with the guy. He's just been knocked out by Madani. He puts his suit on, doesn't he, to escape. I th- that that's really that's a good point. I wasn't even thinking about the the whole Dark Knight and hospital scenes. That's really good. Um, yeah. One thing that I, I did notice um, from our our like our conversation last week, where we were like, "Does does Frank have PTSD?" And I I wasn't too sure. There's different info throughout this season where I'm still not sure. Like, I don't think, I wish that they had kind of, like, nailed it down. A couple episodes ago, he talks about how before any of this stuff went down, he he's always been this guy. Before the Marines, before um, his family is being killed, this is who I am. My wife even knew it. My wife knew me for who I was, and she still loved me. And I was like, oh, okay, so you've always just been a sociopath, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's just that you went into the Marines where that's acceptable to be like that. Um, so we're like, okay, cool. But now and you see him, uh, Karen's hanging out with him in the hospital and sitting with him while he sleeps. Also, I really like how she just got in there by lying and saying, I'm his <laughs> lawyer. And I'm like, you're, you're the secretary. And there's no like client confidentiality with that. But she, she blows like just runs over the, the, guard who's there but anyways he's the like, worst guard in the world isn't he, he lets is. amy in he lets he lets karen in he's he's just, just <laughs> right um it's amazing they also on the radio say what hospital the punisher went to and i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> anyways but he he's he's asleep and he's dreaming about his family and he he jolts awake, and that to me was very. Um, it wouldn't necessarily diagnose him with PTSD, but it seemed very much like that, like that trauma. And now I'm having this nightmares, and um, the, the 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 jolting awake, hearing the gunshots, almost as if it was real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and Karen, just before this attack, actually, Karen. And Madani had gone to the, which another again was another bit of um, trickery. They end up in the morgue and examine the fact that the prostitutes Frank thinks he's killed were actually killed at close range by Billy and his gang. And this all, and they obviously the attack on Frank happens after this, and they can't actually tell him. But I've got to say again, another character that really annoyed me was Officer Mahoney, who for some <laughs> reason just kept being able to turn up at Madani's private flat apartment and just walk in with a coffee and and she she, she was so frustrated uh with him but he, he could literally do whatever he wanted and, and i i just thought I, I don't know i just didn't believe him as a character and he's obviously sort of chasing frank and he gets frank and then he puts him in the back of the uh back of the vehicle but unknown him because he's going to take him to a precinct unknown to him pilgrims pursuing him in he and and takes out uh frank and mahoney and and the ambulance ends up uh, off the side of the freeway with Madani in hot pursuit as we go into episode 12. Now, I thought this was a good scene again. The ambulance goes over the side of the freeway, smashes the front. We've got the whole uh, setting fire, a bit of a cliche in films, but the ambulance is about to set fire. Frank's going to walk away and he comes back with a prick of conscience and takes Mahoney out as above them, Madani's fighting with Pilgrim and shooting at him and he escaped. Now, I couldn't work out, I don't know about you two, 
How did Pilgrim get past Madani to get in her vehicle, which was about 60 yards away, when she was chasing him around cars? I kept thinking she surely must have saw him in the line of sight running behind her. And if he did run behind her, why didn't he attack her? I couldn't understand that. I don't know if you picked up on that, either of you. I didn't pick up on it, to be honest. I... I, I was wondering the same thing. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was watching it. And I was like, I guess, I guess Nazis are sneaky, and you know, he just somehow was able to teleport. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then Castle Frank Castle gets uh, Senator Schultz's residence. Goes over there. He opens the door, punches him, and basically kidnaps him. While this is happening, Pilgrim discovers the location of Hoyle's trailer, gets over there, Hoyle's sat there, uh, they have a big fight. And again, Dave, like you said, Hoyle has been a bit of a peripheral figure, comes into his own, he has a great mm-hmm. fight with Pilgrim, doesn't he? They absolutely go to war. And Amy, as always, the hapless Amy arrives at the trailer at completely the wrong time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pilgrim knocks out Hoyle um, while she escapes, and he returns to his... his uh, hotel unaware that amy has pulled what can only be described as the stupidest move ever and got into pilgrim's boot of his car which is absolute the police car which is madani's which is absolute nonsense and then sees that pilgrim goes up to floor six in his his apartment or hotel i just kept thinking if you were chased by someone like that the last thing you're going to do is get into his car and there's a chance that he might go in the boot as well. I mean, I don't know. I just thought it was absolutely ridiculous, that, that little segment with her. Yeah, she's very frustrating, as as Heather was saying before at this point, wasn't she? Just nonsense. Um, yeah. And then Radani has a conversation with DeMont. Now, I, I, I've got to say as well, I thought this, this, this bit, again, was a bit weak, where obviously um, Radani and DeMont, have had a conversation on the phone and DeMont is drinking, but she's absolutely just, she's totally changed character. She, she's absolutely talk about raising suspicion. She's basically asking Madonna how the whole investigation's going. Where's, where's Frank? Where's he staying? I'm thinking this is just completely out of character to who she's been through the series. I don't know whether it was supposed to, the fact that she was desperate to save Billy or get Frank out of their lives because she wanted to move on as she alluded to with Billy. But, Madani was straight on to that. I just thought that was a bit too much an obvious dialogue. And when Madani heads over to DeMont's residence, we then get we get a full-on fight, a cracking fight. It's a really good fight. Um, and DeMont from nowhere has gone from a doctor to a street fighter from just absolutely nothing. Yeah. And she can beat a, an FBI agent up, no problem at all. You know, I, I just thought that was a bit of um <laughs> a bit of a, a bit of a reach for me, Dave, as you say. You're right. And then DeMont throws uh, DeMont gets thrown out the window by Madani, doesn't she? And, and Billy turns up at, at that exact point as they're surrounding the body. But we do get a bit of um, a bit of a flashback with DeMont and her father, who's obviously had suffered the same sort of fate. And a, a young girl is looking at her dad lay on the sidewalk. And, and there's a weird flashback there. But then Billy, just as the episode closes out, Billy just rages. Now, I've got to say, I'll get both of your opinions on this. I've got to say, I, I do find it strange, like they did with the episode where Frank reveals himself as the Punisher to Billy. They felt like weird points to actually close the episode off. I don't know about you. Billy just shoots off. I know it's, it's supposed to be like, like, like if you were watching a TV show, it would be on properly. You'd be like, oh, my God, I can't wait for next week's episode. What's he going to do? Well, 
he's on Netflix all the all the episodes. So I'll just wait ten seconds and watch him. <laughs> the next one, I don't know about you guys. It didn't it didn't build the excitement or the tension that I wanted. So that because sometimes, as much as I love the binge watching, this felt like one of the ones where you needed that break in between to go. Oh my god, what's he going to do to Madani when he gets up there? But he literally had the music, and he can skip the music on Netflix anyway. In the intro straight in and he ends up in the apartment. I don't know what you guys think before we go into the, uh, the last episode. I was thinking the exact same thing because, again, I paused it and I was saying, um, so I was watching it with my girlfriend and I was saying, imagine if we, this was coming on TV and it was just a once, you had a once a week thing and you just left off with Billy sees Madani in his girlfriend's window and she's on the street and then you, you have to wait a week. And then when we get into episode 13 and just the, the just beginning of that, and that's how you have to start and you would just, you'd be losing it. Um, yeah. but that's not cause, and you know, she was like, well, we're on Netflix, so let's watch the next episode. And so it, you're right. There's not that, that experience of waiting for the waiting for the next installment of the story. You just go on to the next one. And I thought some of this stuff seemed a little ridiculous, like somehow a psychologist. And I know the kind of training that a psychologist has. We don't get a lot of training in fight skills. No no street fighting, no hand-to-hand combat. No no classes in street fighting. Um, I don't think I could take down a higher up. Or hold my own in, with a higher up in the Department of Homeland Security, yeah. especially one who has a gun. Yeah. And so while while tea is being made in the background, so that was a little ridiculous. And like the timing of, you know, Billy shows up and he holds the flowers and dramatically drops the flowers. And she, and she for whatever reason, Madani decides to step into the window for everyone to see her. And, you know, Billy sees her. <laughs> But as ridiculous as that is, it did seem like um, it almost it made me think I was like, was this taken some of these shots taken from comics? Because it felt to me like I was seeing um, a Frank Miller run. Mm-hmm. And I actually in between in between 12 and 13, I was looking up like, did Frank Miller ever write um a Punisher run and I couldn't find anything and I'm not, I wasn't that familiar because I, I never read a whole lot of the Punisher except that he wrote a lot of Daredevil and so integrated the Punisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's what it felt like to me. It felt like it, it was a comic book pages come to life a little bit ridiculous, but comic books are, you know, and you know, what shots and who, who comes up to, um, into the scene at just the right moment and dramatically drops his, his beautiful flower for his girl. <laughs> I, I must admit, I, I probably the dark humor part to me, but I found that quite funny <laughs> <laughs> because we've seen that Billy's been tortured throughout these 12 episodes and he's been, you know, he's, he's been trying to figure out what's happened to him in the past. He's, he's, snaps at various moments you know he's killed people at various times and it seems at this point you know when he's picking up the flowers i almost imagine him whistling along you know mm-hmm. clicking his heels together <laughs> manani just throws his girlfriend out and uh, just destroys his world again and i don't know why that just really tickled me 
It was pretty funny. Just to really crush him. <laughs> Only Dave would come up with that one. Heaven. <laughs> I just imagined you sat there sniggering to yourself. It was. I mean, I, I kind of felt for him as well, but there was another, you know, it's the devil and the angel on each shoulder and, and one was kind of laughing and, and the other one was thinking, oh, you know, Madani's <laughs> had it now. But, um, yeah. You know what I thought back to? I thought back to Man of Steel, and, and I mentioned this to you, Chris. One of the things that jarred with me at that time was when Jor-El, you know, Superman's dad there, is going hand-to-hand with General Zod, you know, this career, this person who's been in the military pretty much their whole lives, and, and Jor-El's basically a scientist, and they're, they're having this this fight, and, you know, it's pretty even. It, it seemed <laughs> the same with Madani and, and DeMont there as well. <laughs> I've, I've got to say, though, Heather, I'm going to have to pull rank with Dave on it. I love Superman, and I love Man of Steel. <laughs> Dave, we're dismissing that, that section. No, 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 you are Strike correct. it you're from correct. the record, yes, you're right. No, no, you are absolutely <laughs> correct. Just talk about taking it from the realms of fantasy. That was up there with the best, I think. And we go into the last episode now of the, the whole season, and Billy goes up there, and he has a, it's a great battle with Madani in there, and it's pro- proper uh, brutal. But Madani's actually Billy ends up on top of Madani ends up shooting Billy a couple of times, doesn't he? And and he gets away, Billy. And you know, it's all like one of these things again, like the, the the lovers. They've had that interaction in season one, and and you know, Billy's gone, but she's saying like to the police that like, I've shot him. He just seemed to just carry on. He kept going. He kept going, and and. She can't understand the rage just took over, very much like what Frank does when he gets his rage. And while this is happening, Frank gets the whereabouts of uh, John Pilgrim as well, and, and uh, he goes he goes to go after him, but then meets up with Pilgrim in the hotel. And I couldn't work out with this section of Amy there. Why Amy was there was absolute nonsense. But he ends up in the wrong room and they play a bit of like hide and seek across the room with bullets, <laughs> don't they? Like I, I actually couldn't follow had he got two rooms with an adjoining door because he, 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 Frank goes in one door, he shoots him through the wall. Frank comes out, goes in the other door and he's in the other. And I was thinking, what the heck is going on here? And they're basically shooting at each other through a hotel room, aren't they? Where at the end of it, it ends up with Pilgrim, gets Amy because she does one of the most stupidest things we knew she was going to do and got herself kidnapped straight away. And, and you could see that coming a mile off before Frank had even engaged in this battle with Pilgrim. I don't know about yourselves, Heather, on this one. Yeah, I was, I was, I was like, well, you had the upper hand because they were the whole thing about I'll trade you, David, uh, for Amy. And then Frank finds him. He got to Amy and he's like, oh, okay, I got both of them. I have the upper hand. Amy should have just left. <laughs> he should have been like, get out of the hotel right now. I'll handle this pilgrim guy. You go somewhere else. But they they didn't. And then you're right. It's, it's, it, it went right back to now pilgrim has Amy. I'll trade you one for the other. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself, Dave? <laughs> yeah. We discussed this in the Daredevil series that Karen... I actually found her quite reckless. You know, she's she's pretty fearless, but reckless and gets not only herself into danger, but, but other people. And, you know, I thought Amy was just doing exactly the same thing here. It's just like, stay out. You can see that Frank obviously looks at her as like a surrogate daughter kind of thing. Um, and, you know, 
if I saw that two people like this, you know, two clearly trained killers with bruises and cuts all over them, looking pretty mean, you know, <laughs> I'd be running the other direction, but she just jumps right in there. So, yeah, just, again, another frustration with Amy, I think. Yeah, and while this is happening, we've had a couple of scenes with Hoyle and uh, David Schultz, obviously, the uh, governor, and basically Hoyle has sort of had enough of Frank, can he really, I suppose, in some respects, and the, the, the more he wants to sort of wipe the slate clean and be, you know basically come clean about everything that's happened. So he arranges a meeting and meets up with Mahoney and hands him over, and, and he decides not to arrest Curtis and, and for his involvement because he's basically, you know, he's come good. And I don't know whether you could stretch to that, for what's actually happened, because he's an accessory to Frank killing about 70 people in this series. But basically, just by handing this guy over, and, and the, the actual governor or, or uh, vouches for him, Gunny, and says, like, you know, I don't want to press any charges. Um, and that sort of redeems Hoyle as such, because he's, you know, he's this guy who helps all the veterans. And Frank then is sat at the actual trailer now, just sat there minding his own business like you do with a trailer that's been shot up and Pilgrim turns up in the cop car and you know straight away, you know, and he has Amy with him. And what I find interesting is that all of a sudden Frank goes from this guy who was grunting in the first series, you know, that like he does, you mentioned mm -hmm. in the first episode to an actual negotiator, which changes Pilgrim into the fact that he just lets Amy go and she drives off into the sunset, don't she? Well, we get, a, we get a great fight between Castle and Pilgrim, I've got to say. But I don't know, again, this is another one where Castle's getting absolutely beat up. And from nowhere, when he looks like he's dead, this inner rage comes and he, he starts absolutely getting the advantage. The, the, what I mean is the fight scenes, the, the, the momentum goes one way, but he doesn't, like, build the other it literally just swings like 180 completely and, and, and it makes no logical sense. Exactly what we were saying and you said before, Heather, about the injuries, the internal bleeding. They just seem to, when they want one to win, it's like playing a computer game. Like It's like playing Street Fighter. You get to the fact that your, your opponent's got a full health bar, nearly gets a perfect, and you've got one little bit of the bar left and all of a sudden... You go, hang on a minute. And you all of a sudden just start dragon punching him and, uh, you know, Hadoukins and all that stuff and killing him. And that's what seems to happen with Frank. It just made no sense, this fight at all. It was a weird swing the way it went. It just made no physical or emotional sense to me that that would actually happen or in context of what was going on, especially how beaten up they both were as well before the fight. I think he just got his twenty second wind, didn't he? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> at first it seems like why isn't this guy trying? And but Pilgrim, Pilgrim did say to him, you know, I don't have a choice in what I'm doing. I could just let her go, but they have my sons. And at this point, I was like, well, I mean, with Frank, Frank loves kids. He, mm -hmm. Why don't they do, they should just get together and take out these people, save the kids, and then that would solve the problem. But instead, they, you know, they have a junkyard fight. But I think at first, Frank um, is holding back because I think as much as we're sympathizing with Pilgrim, I think Frank starts to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that might be right. I see. I might be way off on that. What about yourself, Dave? Did you think? No, I, I agree. I didn't think he was giving it his all. I didn't think the fight was necessary. I thought exactly the same. <laughs> it's like, right, clearly, you know, just, just 
discuss it there. But I guess, you know, in the, in the comic books, quite often when you have heroes coming together, they have a bit of a, a misunderstanding, so they have a bit of a fight. And then, you know, they, they work out that misunderstanding and then they go on and team up. Mm-hmm. And so even though we've been, you know, looking at John as the as the villain of this piece, then it just it when they get to the end of the fight and John is is saying you're the whirlwind, you know, you as it cuts away, you're pretty sure he hasn't just finished him off there. And yeah. so it, it did make me think back to that about the old comic book superhero misunderstandings and um, and whether he – I was wondering at that point, has he killed him off or, or has he let him go? When when I was a kid and my dad was getting me into comics and he would, like, take me to comic shops or hobby shops or whatever and we'd, I'd pick out these issues, he'd be like, oh, here's one where the Human Torch fights Spider-Man. And I was like, why mm-hmm. would these two heroes fight each other? And he was just like, that's, that's just what happens in <laughs> Just accept it. Stop asking questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a very good point, actually, from both of you. I, do, I agree with that. It, it, maybe he was. I'll have to watch it again. Maybe I just misunderstood it uh, completely that, that end scene. That makes more sense, to be fair. And, and well, like you say, once he said about the sons, I thought, he's not going anywhere here. And, and it pans the next scene to... Obviously, Martha, Eliza, I've got to call her Martha because he's always been Martha Kent and, and Lana Lang to me. But Eliza is at her house and um, Amy walks in and is talking to her and her husband. And all of a sudden, I've got to say, it's fantastic. He's saying, like, don't point the gun at my wife and all this to her. And and Frank just shoots her straight in the head. We don't know who's shot, but it's Frank walks in and he says to the you know to the dad, like, basically... You know, you're going to, Anderson, he says, don't he? He says, so he is a gun, passes a gun, passes a bullet. He goes, like, you're going to put a bullet in the back of your head. And um, I knew then, I knew that he hadn't he hadn't done anything to Pilgrim. Um, and we walk off, and just as they're walking, because the shot went out dead wide, I knew then as well, I thought, we're going to get a shot here now of Pilgrim somewhere. I don't expect any sons, but we get to see his sons, don't we? And mm-hmm. he puts them in the vehicle, and this is sort of like a, they're not exactly hugging it out or, you know, giving man hugs or anything, but there's a sort of appreciation and a stare as if to say, you know, we're good here sort of thing. And I thought that was a, I thought it was nice. I thought it was a nice little ending pretty much to the, to, to the series there, Dave. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, it was like a mutual respect, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. Uh, he, he's a character you could certainly see coming back. And again, I don't know which side would he would he be on? It, it depends on the story. You know, a bit like Frank, you could convey him as a, as an anti-hero or a villain. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you guys were a little bit more astute than I was because as, as Frank and Amy were coming out of that mansion, I didn't, I wasn't expecting to see Pilgrim, but I was like, where were the boys? And then I was like, Frank's going to pull a Batman and he's just going to start accumulating children and orphans and raising them as anti-heroes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, Pilgrim's got his son back. This is cool. Yeah, like you say, he went full circle, Pilgrim, then he was a full uh, redeemable character at the end. Now, we come to a bit within the episode, and I've got to say, this is probably the most shocking part of the whole series because I was not expecting this. Now, Billy's had the shots from Madonna, and... 
he's in a warehouse held up. So he gets this obviously dodgy second-rate doctor who is drinking whiskey, I think it is, and, and Billy's asking, you know, to get on with it, should you be drinking? And basically he's asking to set the bullets out of his body. But it just gets botched, doesn't it? And it's, it, Dave, so it's like he gets botched and then Billy's in a state of where it's irreparable, basically. I, I was quite shocked by this. And, and he rings up uh, Curtis, doesn't he, and asks him to sort of come down and, you know, be there at the end, basically. Um, I, I must say, though, Dave, that the Doctor was a bit strange. It was a bit out of place, I think. The Doctor was a, I don't know, it was just a bit of a bizarre interaction, I found. It reminded me a lot of Batman 1989 with the Joker. Oh, yeah. You know, that sort of backstreet surgeon and you know it, it didn't look the cleanest of places did it but uh i i thought it took a turn because you know billy's been hard as nails all the way through the two series and uh, he's saying you know he doesn't want any doesn't want to go under so he'll just deal with the pain but obviously the pain's so much he just he just passes out and then i thought it was a brave move by the doctor actually to just stick him in the dumpster <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> Because clearly you are dealing with a, you know, a very dangerous man. Yeah. And uh, But he's like, no, he's passed out. I'll just stick him in the bin and he'll forget where I am. And, and I've got to say, Dave, very much of the, as the conversation went earlier about uh, DeMont being a absolute psycho killer all of a sudden from nowhere and being able to take on an actual Homeland Security agent. He was actually had a strength of a bear, shall we say, that doctor, to carry Billy out as well. And yeah. You know, he's quite... He, I can't say that that was, like, a couple of yards away. I've carried him over his shoulder. But obviously, like you always say, you've just got to cut off from the realms just of uh, reality. It. Yeah, just <laughs> go with it, unfortunately. But again, you know, he rings Curtis up and... I'm thinking, well, Kurtz is obviously sort of redeeming himself now and he's rescued uh, David Schultz and he's now come down what we think to rescue Billy. And, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, hang on, I know what's coming now. And next minute he walks through Ronnie Frank, the Punisher. And he's, well, I've got to say, Dave, I was not expecting this at all. What happened now? I don't know if you want to lead into that, Dave. But yeah, I mean, we so Frank turns up. So as he walks around the corner, I think, all oh, right, yeah. I mean, again, Curtis has sold Billy out quite a bit there because he seemed to have a heart of gold, um, Curtis, didn't he? But you yeah. know, he's clearly he's sent Frank off, and he, he knows that's probably not going to end well. But we've we've mentioned about the Joker and Batman quite a lot each time and you know it's that it's that superhero supervillain trope where you know they just the hero locks up the villain and then the villain escapes and then they're causing mischief again the next week or the next series and so when he stood there and and through the series you know both curtis and frank they've had a chance to finish off billy and they haven't taken it they've been conflicted so as old john Burntall stood there i'm thinking right he's gonna get you know, he's going to feel that brotherly love again and he's going to spare him. And then quick as a flash, blows him away and finishes him off. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly. That's the same, Dave. I, 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 and what makes it better is Frank just, he just, no, there's nothing. Is the Billy's just like talking and pleading with him. And, and when, when he shoots him, I was like, all oh, right, he's dead. You know, I was expecting his eyes to move because he panned in quite 
eerily, didn't he? His eyes, and the, I know mm. his eyes are open. And very good from Ben Barnes as well, I must admit, to not blink or even show any emotion. But, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. I genuinely thought he, he's going to be coming back. You know, he's going to be on the brink of death, but they're going to get him back sort of thing. But, no, he, he, he's off to the uh, bad guy place in the sky with, with all the others. He was just a bizarre thing, but very powerful. And I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, yeah. And I think it was it was more powerful as well because there was no conflict in Frank anymore, was there? There was no kind of, you know, he shot him and then he felt a little bit of sadness or anything. It was just matter of fact, you've got to die. Off yeah. you go. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. I, I genuinely... I, I thought it was good, but then, that, like, I suppose as we mentioned earlier on regarding season three, is it tying all the knots? Oh, is it tying all the ends? Tying all the knots, Dave, not in the scouts. Are we? Like, if we tying all the ends up, you know, just to finish everything off, just in case there isn't any more, that's what it felt like a little bit because he'd been such a powerful character over Tuesday. Or is it just a case of they're going to bring someone else in, which obviously they can at any point with these series if they do go to a third series? <sighs> Or is it, you know, that uh, to complete his journey to the dark side, to complete his journey to the being the Punisher, you know, he has to kill Billy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I was very shocked by that. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Amy, I've got to say now, the last scene of the whole series, and I, I spoke to Dave about this the other day, I thought was absolutely the cheesiest bit of the whole series. Now, so let's set the scene. We get a little bit of dialogue comes up in the bottom of the screen. Three months later, Frank's in a vehicle. He's staking out somewhere. We can see a group of guys going into a building, and then Madani rings him. She's obviously, she's, well, I can't remember where she was. She's in the army somewhere or whatever it is, and she says to him, like, you're the best you know, best person I've ever known, Trey, but we need your help sort of thing. And she's on an old school army phone and, and Frank's like... She's she with the CIA, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, CIA, sorry. Yeah. But she, she's out in the field, isn't she, someone? She's like, we mm -hmm. need your help. And Frank says, you know, I'm fine where I am, basically. You know, and, she, and he puts the phone down on her. And I've got to say, we get into this warehouse. We've got two groups of people who are supposed to be gangsters. It actually looked like I was watching a remake of the Jason Nevin Run DMC. Yeah, that, yeah, I was that, thinking Run DMC. Run DMC, well. run DMC dance off. And he's like, You've called me, you've called me. And Frank <laughs> comes in in the full gear and just takes them all out. And I thought, <laughs> I, I, not in a bad way, I was laughing to myself. I thought, That is so cheesy. And, and I know he's got the full suit on, but I just thought he was a little bit out of character for what we've just watched for 13 episodes. I don't know why it really got to me for some reason. I thought it was really out of character because one, those, the, these two gangs looked like they were full of like, maybe like 18 to 20 year olds. Mm -hmm. So still kind of young. And I wasn't getting the impression that they were doing anything worse, worse than drug dealing. Yeah. And that never seemed to be on Frank's radar before. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're just going to get them all in a warehouse, get all the drug dealers in New York in a warehouse and just mow them down. And that's, that's where <laughs> we're at now, Frank. And it's efficient. <laughs> but, but they, they were already... 
pulling their guns out on each other. If it had just waited a minute. <laughs> <laughs> he might have wanted to kill one of them, but no, he yeah. went full on, let's kill all of you. I, I do. I know it's set in the scene, it's like he is the punisher, but it just felt completely, it felt like something that would have been in Iron Fist because that was a terrible show. So it felt like it was going to be a, something that deserves to be in Iron Fist, not in The Punisher. I, I just... if, you, if you remember, and spoilers for, for right at the end of Daredevil Season 3, but I, it felt like that very last scene to me. You know where it's showing bullseyes, he's having his spine operated on, and then he opens his eye and you can yeah. see the kind of lights, you know, making a bullseye symbol in his eye to me that was you know really quite cheesy and and this last scene as well was as cheesy and it was just like oh no it it, it doesn't fit with everything else that went before it yeah you, yeah i think that they were they had the feeling of one we gotta wrap this up because we could draw this out longer, but now we just got to start shooting people because we're in episode 13. We got to wrap this up. <laughs> but I think also they have the feeling of we might not get another season. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's end with something visually impactful, but then it, it just comes off as cheesy. So we yeah. have the image of, you know, Frank's in his full Punisher get up and he just guns literally blazing. Um, it's, it's impactful, but it's, it is cheesy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's. I think you're right. I think that might have been something that was added on post production because it might have been them getting the nod saying there isn't going to be any more. So you get that image of him like that, as if to say, well, he just carried on being the Punisher. He does. He does put a bit of a full stop on everything, but it wasn't as impactful as I think they expected it would be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that's. A, I think that's a great, a great explanation. What about yourself, Dave? Without just cheese. Just pure cheese. I, I wish they hadn't have done that. But um, like you say, from what we understand about what season three would look like if they got a chance at it, then we will see Frank more as that, you know, he is the Punisher. So he's all kitted up and everything. So maybe they've they've put it in there late, you know, as like a teaser, you know, to get people excited for what season three could be. But uh, yeah, it just didn't it didn't hit the bullseye for me. <laughs> what I what I really wanted, and I know this wasn't realistic, but I really wanted an ending scene where he goes back and checks on Beth um, yeah. from the earlier episodes. And, but I guess he really does at some point. I think while he's having the conversation with Karen, he makes the choice of not wanting to try to have that normal life. Mm-hmm. He he wants the life as the Punisher, and so that's what we're left with. But for me, it was like, man, I wish I wish we had gone full circle. He went back to the bar or something. I would have liked if it was a movie and it wasn't like based on the Punisher character. That's what should have happened. But he is who he is, I guess. Can, can I just say one thing there, actually, to both of you? I know we're at the end of it now. I've got to call out one scene in the whole series. You've just reminded me, Heather. Is he's sat in the car? With, with Hoyle, with Curtis, staking out Billy's Valhalla warehouse. And they're talking, aren't they? And they're both, like, talking about what they've got going on in life. And, and, you know, Curtis is saying, like, I've got, you know, I've got someone who relies on me. I've got this woman and all this. And then Frank goes full on, yeah, well, you know, I met this woman, Beth. You know, and, and he starts going into this big speech. And I'm thinking, hang on, 
You spent one night with her. You met her about nine o'clock at night. You slept with her. You took her for breakfast. And you and never then got and a shot. And then got a shot <laughs> in a space of 24 hours. And he was talking as if, like, he's, he goes, yeah, she made me back to where I was. I was like a real person again. I'm thinking, this is nonsense. Right? <laughs> it was like a guy. It was like a guy. I don't know what he said that for the punch. It was like, so, like you'd see a bloke in a pub going, yeah, I used to be in the army, me. Yeah, I, I served in uh, four tours of... Afghanistan or Iraq, and really, he's just gone and done the training centre for four weeks and, and not actually seen any action. It was just pathetic. It was like Frank was trying to one-up Curtis by saying he met this woman. <laughs> I mean, he's like, she made, she made me feel like a normal man again, and there was something that she was special. I'm like, oh, my God. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't take it at that point. I was like, oh, I'm not even having that at all. I don't know if you guys, I know we're going back a bit, but did you pick up on that at all? Uh, yeah, and probably not not as much as you. <laughs> but yeah, now that you now that you pointed it out, it does seem he's he was overplaying that relationship a bit, wasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> sorry guys, I just it was something that really tickled me when I watched it. I was just like, that is terrible. So anyway, let's put a full stop on that now. Shall we go into our review? Let's go. Heather, do you want a recap on the scores again? Um, so- Let me see if I remember. I think top one is Asgard. Yep. And then fourth is Atlantis. Yep. And then I forgot the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in the middle is Halls of Justice. If it's uh, a bit worse than Halls of Justice, not the worst thing you've ever seen, it's Hell's Kitchen. And then if it's the worst thing you've ever seen, it's sent off to the Phantom Zone. So they're, they're the five for you. So do you want to go first again, Heather? Yeah, sure. So last week I was saying Atlantis. Um, and I'll keep it there because even as much as we talked about the cheesiness and the unbelievability, um, you know, I, I, I'm just easily pleased with my superhero stuff. And Netflix does a great job, um, for, regardless of the cheese or the, the stuff you can't believe. But I'll keep it at Atlantis. I, I, I had a good time watching it. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Dave, I'll go this time if you want. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, I went uh, last last week. Uh, for me, great series again. Another Netflix special Pure violence throughout. If anybody listening has not watched it, please, you know, it is a a long watch. It's 13 episodes. It's a great series. I don't think it's as good as Daredevil, but also there was a few things, obviously, I've mentioned in it that I was a bit unhappy with. I think John Berthold is fantastic and Ben Barnes, really good portrayal of the Punisher and Jigsaw. But I think my mate DeMont, had enough of her, some of the dialogue and some of the believability went so far the other way. I give it an Atlantis last week. I'm actually going to give it a Halls of Justice because I just think it's... it. I've seen a lot of the reviews. I couldn't understand the first six episodes, why it got so poorly reviewed, but I just think that last part of the series for me, it just made no sense other than just wanting violence. And I, uh, I just think it's a great series, but it's just in the middle. So, Halls of Justice. 
Isn't that interesting? So I'm sure you said on last week's episode how much you just loved pure violence. Yeah, and, no, and it's no. even, you know, it's too much violence for you. <laughs> I hold my head in shame. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You can have too much of anything, can't you, I guess? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I thought, I gave it an Atlantis last week as well, and I thought, I'm going into the second half of the series, I thought this this could be a potential for an Asgard right at the top there. But I do think, like all of the Netflix series, I think it it felt to me like it lulled in different places. And I'm not sure if that's just because the story slowed down somewhat or maybe it did start to feel a little bit samey, all the violence, you know, Frank getting beaten to a pulp, being down down and out for the count, and then like the ultimate warrior springing up onto his heels and, uh, you know, giving giving someone else the beatdown. So I think what I would say, you know, I, I did really enjoy it still. And I think obviously we we watch these in quick succession. I think if I'd have maybe spread this out a little bit more. So we've watched it over a, uh, just over a week and a half. I think if I'd have watched it over a longer period, I might have enjoyed it. If I'd have taken a breath in between episodes and not binged it quite so much. But I thought Bernthal, this is the best acting and range that I've seen from him. Now, I liked his character in The Walking Dead. I thought he was great in in all the bit part roles that I've seen. Like, I thought he was good in Wolf of Wall Street as well. But um, just that range of emotions that I think he showed in this series, you know, the really quiet moments where you can see he's kind of tortured. He's, he's He's still in grief, you know, that kind of comes across way to the other end where you just get this primal, um, you know, this vicious side to him as well. I, I just thought it was great. And of all the different roles he's had and the different series that we've seen him play Frank Castle, I, I thought this was the best. But I think for me, it's, it just didn't quite do enough to get to Asgard. So it's an Atlantis from me as well. Good stuff, good stuff. Now, just before we go, I want to thank you, Heather, for coming on. We really appreciate the fact that you've took the time to come on. We had two great episodes with you, and you're definitely more than welcome to come on again. Um, where can everybody get you and, and your website? And obviously, what about the Super Psyche is about as well, please? Yeah, they can find um, my blog posts, uh, my podcast, and some videos of me going to different comic conventions and talking that's all on uh, Um And then if they want to chat with me on um, social media, if they got any ideas of things that they would like me to review, I'm on Facebook. You can search for Super Psychology, uh, Super Psych, uh, Geek Psychology. And then on Twitter, it's at Super underscore Psych. And I love chatting with people. People come in there and, and like, what do you think about this and that? And a lot of people have like bright ideas. So I love talking with people. Obviously, myself and Dave now are part of a radio station called Indie Rocks UK. If you get over to www.indierocks.co.uk, and our show is on a Tuesday, 7 to 8 p.m., and it's basically a comics in motion light version with some indie classic tunes as well played around it. So give us a listen on there, guys, and Heather will be on there again this week on this episode. 
on top of that, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at Comics in Motion P. And if you want to email the show, it's Comics in Motion Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, guys. And thank you, Heather, for coming on. So, Dave, what are you going to take us out with this week? <laughs> well, I think it's only right. There's We didn't touch on it as much, but... Um... You know, or we mentioned it a little bit about the amount of punishment that Frank himself takes as well as dishing out and, and he was just to a superhero level just unkillable and he does say at one point in the series he says to Amy I'm not the one who dies kid he said he's never going back inside so a couple of cops going to try to arrest him People are going to die. The last few days, I let men live that I should have killed. It, it pisses me off. How are you doing, Billy? Both face hurts. Does it explain all the scars? Some of them.